We're going to talk today on, I thought left, God went right. And I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life when you, maybe you were in a car with somebody, and, um, and you, you, were new, you knew where you were going because you've been there many times, but all of a sudden they, they take a different route. You think they were going left, uh, you thought they were going straight, and all of a sudden they take another route, and all of a sudden you find that there's a shortcut that you never knew about before. And that happened to me once years ago, I remember. Uh, I can't go to Spokane anymore, but back in the days when you go to Spokane and fly places, um, like I would always drive down Division to get to the airport. And you know, there's a zillion lights and lots of traffic. And I was with somebody who I thought was just going to go down Division, and all of a sudden they went right. And I discovered a whole new street that has very few lights that gets you there really fast. And I was just like, what was I missing all my life? And, and sometimes that happens with God. Sometimes we have these expectations of how God is going to move or these thoughts of how, what God is going to do in my life. And so we're thinking, you know, God's going to go right here and he's going to turn there and go left there. And all of a sudden God starts doing something that looks completely different. Sometimes God goes a different way because there's a shortcut. Sometimes there's actually something better than we ever imagined. And uh, we're going to look today at the story of John the Baptist because this happened to John the Baptist. John the Baptist had these expectations on Jesus, and Jesus went a completely different way. And the story of John the Baptist is he is the, the forerunner to the Messiah, and he uh, was six months older than Jesus, and he came to kind of prepare people's hearts for the coming of Jesus, to get people thinking about the kingdom. He was kind of a rough prophet. He liked the word repent, and he liked to eat bugs and honey and all kinds of weird things. But in Matthew 11, shortly into Jesus' ministry, he is actually arrested. And he is thrown into this fortress, which is on the, the east side of the Dead Sea. And he's locked up in, in this palace. And he finds himself in prison. And he didn't end up there because he was like blowing up, you know, Roman fortresses or something like that or stealing chariots. He ends up there because, well, the, uh, the story goes like this. A lot of us know, know Herod the Great. He was the, the king when Jesus was born. And he was the one who tried to kill Jesus. And Jesus and his family flee to Egypt. Uh, Herod the Great dies uh, 4 BC. Uh, he had a bunch of kids. A lot of his children he actually ended up killing because he was just a crazy individual. But some of his kids lived. And one of them was Herod Antipas. He was the guy who was in charge of Galilee uh, during the ministry of Jesus. And another one of his sons is... Uh, Herod II, and he wasn't all that popular. I couldn't even find a picture, so he gets a happy face. But anyways, um, Herod II marries this gal named Herodias, and uh, they're married, and then probably at one of their family gatherings, his brother, Herod Antipas, um, starts chatting with Herodias, and they start chatting, and they start kind of liking each other, and they kind of get emotionally attached, and until one day, um, Herod Antipas says, hey, Herodias, I would make a far better husband than my brother. Why don't you divorce him and come live with me? And so Herodias says, sounds like a deal. And so she divorces Herod II and marries Herod Antipas. Now, that happened during John the Baptist's ministry. And if you know about John the Baptist, he was, again, he was kind of a fiery. He was like one of those fire and brimstone preachers. And, uh, and he publicly calls out Herod Antipas and Herodias and says, what you have done is not right. You need to repent. And, and of course, you know, 
in those days, the, the, you know, the, the king of Galilee, the, he's got a lot of power. And so he wants to kill John the Baptist, and Herodias, his new wife, wants to kill John the Baptist, but he knows that a lot of people like John the Baptist. So they decide, well, let's just throw him in prison. So John the Baptist finds himself in prison because he's publicly called out Herod Antipas and his new wife. And so it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, he hears about all the things the Messiah was doing. So at least he's allowed visitors. And so maybe some of his disciples come in and say, hey, John, this Jesus guy, he's doing these amazing things. He's like healing people, restoring blind eyes. He's raising the dead. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He's doing amazing, amazing things. So John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we be looking for someone else? Which is quite a statement from John the Baptist. I mean, all of a sudden, he begins to doubt whether Jesus is actually the Messiah. Are, are you the Messiah, or should we actually be looking for someone out? I don't even know if you're the Messiah anymore. Something between his beginning of his ministry and now has completely changed his faith in Jesus being the Messiah. In fact, you go back to John chapter 1. It says, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Even though John was born first, he understood that Jesus rose from eternity from eternity, that he was rock solid, that Jesus is the Messiah. But now he's in prison, and he hears about the miracles of Jesus, and now he is doubting. Now he's even wondering, is Jesus even who he says he is? Maybe he's not the Messiah, and he's struggling with his faith, and he's doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, now why the change in John? Well, some folks think the answer is because he was in prison, and he hears about all these miracles, that maybe he was wondering, well, where's my miracle? I mean, he hears about Jesus healing the lame and raising the dead and, you know, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and doing these miracles, and, and he's like, Jesus is like healing like the poor and the helpless, but, but I'm like John the Bee. <laughs> I'm like the, the forerunner to the Messiah. I mean, where's my miracle? If anybody should get a miracle, it should be me. I've been, I've been faithful, unlike these tax collectors and sinners. I've been so faithful. Where's my miracle? And because maybe he had an expectation of miracles in his life and he didn't see it, that he was doubting the Messiah, that he was struggling whether Jesus was actually who he said he was or not. And, and sometimes this can happen to us. When we hear about the amazing miracles happening around this world, I mean, cancer being healed and, 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 and ears being, you know, hearing again and sight being restored and people's financial worlds created, uh, made right and, and, and like addictions destroyed. And, I mean, there are such amazing miracles that uh, God has done around this world and is doing still today and has done in this church. And, and sometimes we might wonder, well, what about my health issue? Or what about my job situation? Or what about my addiction? Where's my miracle? And sometimes this can cause us to struggle with our faith and, and wondering, does, does God really love me? You know, why is God doing that for them and, and, and not me? And so some think that maybe John the Baptist was struggling with that. 
But the reality is most theologians don't think that was the reason. Most theologians think that the reason John the Baptist was doubting that Jesus was who he actually said he was, was because of sort of the common expectation of the day for what the Messiah would look like. And the common expectation of the day was sort of that Jesus would step in, the Messiah would step in kind of as a gun-wielding military leader, political power who would kick out the Romans and restore the, the rule of the Jewish people and, and uh, you know, just kind of a military kind of a, kind of a figure. And in fact, um, John actually preached that at one time. He, in Matthew 3, he, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the, the storehouse, but the chaff he will burn up with indistinguishable fire. And, and the idea of the fork was you, you separated it from the chaff. You, you got rid of the junk, and you kept the pure, and, and the fire, you burn away all the bad stuff, and you leave the good. And so this expectation people had that Jesus would come and do that. He's going to get rid of the scum and, and burn out the Romans and, and create this, this new kingdom of military and political power, and yet John the Baptist hears what Jesus is doing, and it's just like, I don't get it. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Where's his army? He's like meeting with like the woman at the well and helping the woman caught in adultery. I mean, what's the deal with that? Those people aren't military folks. I mean, those people can't, you know, change the world the way we want, and, and what in the world is he doing in Galilee? I mean, headquarters is Jerusalem. That's where he needs to be, and he just is like a disconnect between what he thought Jesus would be and what Jesus was actually doing, and most theologians think that was more the reason why John was struggling, and, and we struggle with that sometimes, where we have expectations about how God should move, or we have thoughts about what God should do in this situation, and, and sometimes those don't happen. And like John, who is like, Jesus, I expected you to go to left. Why are you going right? There are times when we expect God to do something, and he's doing something else. And so sometimes we, we, we have this phrase where like, you know, God, I thought you were going to. God, I thought you were going to do this in my marriage. I thought you were going to do this in, in my ministry. I thought you were going to do this in, in this area. God, why, why, why are you going this way when I thought you were going to go this way? And, that's, and so John is really struggling with his faith. He's actually doubting whether Jesus is actually the Messiah anymore. But what is really interesting about this passage is, so Jesus hears from John's disciples. Jesus finds out that John is doubting that he is the Messiah and Jesus goes on to say this. He says, about this doubting John the Baptist, he says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Like Jesus just hears that John the Baptist is doubting who he is, and he says, of all those folks who have ever lived, John is the greatest. It just shows Jesus you know, lifting up those who are doubting and discouraged and, and struggling maybe with their faith or their expectations of God. And, and, and John the Baptist is not the only famous Bible person who struggled with their faith or were doubting or, you know, God, I can't figure this out. Some of the, the greatest folks in the Bible, like, like Elijah. I mean, there was a point in his life where it says this. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. 
And in that moment, he's not like living the victorious, joy-filled Christian life when you know when he's saying that. I mean, he's really struggling with his faith and just like, God, just get me out of here. Or even more so Jeremiah, and, and he's a famous guy, and he's got a huge book. But look what he says. I mean, it's almost almost heretical just to say this verse. He says, why is my pain unending and my wounds grievous and incurable? And then he says to God, you are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. And if you read Jeremiah's story, I mean, he had, he had it rough and, and, and just things weren't working out the way he'd hoped. And he's just like, God, you are like a deceptive spring. I don't know what the heck is going on. And he's struggling. Yet, he's one of the famous prophets. And this, I think, can be encouraging, perhaps, if you're struggling with your faith or you're doubting or wrestling with things, is that, that God hasn't forgotten about you, that he still lifts up these folks. In fact, he pursues us even when we're struggling. And, and we know this in Peter, when Peter had his crisis of faith, when he actually denies Jesus three times. And it says that Jesus actually looked at him one time, that Jesus was actually an earshot. I mean, it's one thing to deny him in private, but like, to Jesus where he can hear saying, I don't know who you are, and I swear I've never known you. I mean, you talk about doubting, you talk about struggling in your faith, that was Peter. But after the resurrection, Jesus meets with the women, and he specifically says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, Peter is the one who especially needs to know. He might have pushed back for me, but I'm pursuing him. And God keeps pursuing us even when we're struggling in our faith and even when we're struggling with doubts. God is the pursuer and he's the lover of your soul and he is running after you and he's running after John the Baptist and Elijah and Jeremiah and us when we're stuck in those moments when we might be doubting or struggling with unmet expectations or God, I, I thought you were this way, but why is this going on in, in, in my life? And so, these disciples of John, and to see how serious John was about figuring this out, he sends his disciples 160 kilometers to where Jesus is. I mean, he's in a fortress right down by the Dead Sea. Jesus is way up in Galilee. It's like a week-long journey. This is how serious John the Baptist was about getting this question answered. So they finally arrive. They ask Jesus, Jesus, John the Baptist doesn't know if you're the Messiah. Are you the one, or should we be looking from someone else? And this is what Jesus says. He says, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. And what Jesus does here is he takes some quotes from the book of Isaiah and is basically lovingly rebuking John in a loving, encouraging way, saying, no, John, actually, this is what is prophesied about the Messiah. This is spoken about. It's just your idea of a military warrior has crowded the way you're reading, reading the Bible. John, it is written, I am the Messiah, and the Messiah is coming to do these things, and I am doing these things. And so he lovingly encourages John back to, to Scripture. And there are times like John when we can read things into the Bible because you know, we hope they would be this way when, when Jesus kind of brings back. And this is why we need revelation. And so he quotes from Isaiah. And what is, was interesting, and those who preach on this passage often kind of point this out, is that Jesus, when he quotes the Old Testament, he actually leaves part of one of these verses out. In Isaiah 61, this is where he quotes from. It says, you know, the Lord has anointed me to bring 
good news to the poor, and he sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. But Jesus leaves this part out of the verse. Proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Go tell John about these verses, but don't tell him this part. <laughs> because John is in prison. And there are certain times when it's not the right time to quote a Bible verse to somebody. You know, sometimes it's the wrong time to plug up someone's womb with a uh, wound with a Bible verse. It's too soon. I mean, someone has like the worst day of their life and it's like, like a bad country song and, you know, the dog dies and the Ford breaks down and the Chevy don't work and the little itty bitty house has a leak in the roof and the little green or the big green tractor has got a flat tire or whatever the country songs say. And it's just like everything goes wrong. It's not the best time to say, you know, James chapter 1 verse 2 says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I mean, sometimes you just have to learn to sit with somebody in their pain before you plug that verse up with a Bible verse or find other ones that, that are comforting. I mean, it's not the best time when, when someone loses a loved one to come up and say, you know, Romans 8.28 says, you know, God work all things out for the good of those who love him. Be happy. It's like, you know, not the best time to bring up that verse. And maybe this was not the best time to bring up the idea of the prisoners will be freed. But the reality is Jesus was releasing prisoners. People who are imprisoned in their sin and imprisoned in bitterness and imprisoned in their shame and in prison. And Jesus is still in the same business today, unlocking those prisons in our heart. And maybe today you find yourself that there's a prison inside. Something you're struggling with, something that's just weighs on you, something that keeps pulling you down. I tell you, invite Jesus into those spots and allow him to work. He is the one who sets the prisoners free. And then Jesus says, oh, before you go back to John, tell him one more thing. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. God blesses those who don't fall away because of me, implying that sometimes people can fall away because of him. And we see that at times in, in the Bible. There are people who turn their back on Jesus. Uh, there are times when people, because they expected Jesus to be that military warrior, Jesus wasn't doing that, that they said, well, he's not, he's not the one, we're going to look for someone else. But Jesus says, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. And again, sometimes when our expectations of God aren't playing out, sometimes when our hopes for what Jesus would do are, are not working out, we can pull way back in our faith and begin to doubt and struggle. And Jesus would say to you, blessed are those who don't fall away on account of of me. And one of the most important things to do when you're struggling with your faith or with expectations that aren't being met of God is to, to keep talking to him. And this is the one thing we see of John the Baptist. I mean, he was in prison. John, or Jesus was 160 kilometers away. I mean, but he kept, the, he's like, I need to figure this out. I need revelation. So he sends his disciples 160 kilometers to get an answer. If you have to, send a message 160 kilometers to get an answer. Jeremiah, even though he was like, God, you are a deceptive brook, he was saying that to God. He was communicating with him that God might speak into his life, into his hurt. Elijah and others are doing this. You know the one person who we don't see communicating with God? is Judas. We never see in the scriptures any time where Judas was like, Jesus, I'm struggling whether you're the Messiah or not. Jesus, I don't get what you're doing. We never see that, but it seems, as most theologians think, that Judas as well was struggling with the same thing as John. 
that Judas expected Jesus to be the gun-wielding military political leader warrior, and, and it wasn't happening. So G Judas says, well, screw this. I'll just get some money out of this. Or he says, I'm going to betray him because it's going to force Jesus to, to take up arms. And you know, if I betray him, he's got to go, go that way. And yet you never see him struggling, his, uh, being open with it, that with Jesus. At least it's not written. And Judas falls away. So just keep talking to him. Ask God for revelation into your situation. Blessed are those who don't fall away on account of him. Because it's in Jesus when we are holding on to him that, that those needs deep down in our soul are met. He is where we find our home. He is the answer. He is the way and the truth and life. And sometimes that might be complicated in how that's working out in our life. But God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. James chapter 1 says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. That there are lots of things in life that test our faith. And God wants to use those times of testing to make our faith stronger. The enemy will always try to take those times where we're doubting or discouraged or struggling with unmet expectations. The, the enemy always wants to destroy our faith. And he'll always try to do that by pulling us away and cutting off communication where we're just like, I don't want to talk to you anymore, God. And just keep talking, keep pursuing, keep asking, keep trusting. And allow your faith to develop. Now we would hope that this story of John the Baptist would have a happy ending. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love happy endings. I, I, I hate movies with ha sad endings or you know, endings that are just, you know, where the bad guy wins or something. I like happy endings. I'm a happy ending guy. I, I love that in stories. And, and I would hope, you know, we might hope this, this story of John the Baptist in prison would have a happy ending. We might hope that uh, it might be like Peter's story in the book of Acts. Or Peter's in prison and an angel shows up and, and does a miracle and, and Peter is freed. Or, or Paul and Silas in prison and, and, and they're freed. You know, maybe we'd hope that would happen with John the Baptist. But it doesn't. Not everything always works out the way we hope in life. Uh, sometimes terrible, horrible things happen to really good people. I mean, uh, there are people in our church who have lost loved ones and family members, you know, kids and husbands, and, and, and things don't always work out. We're living in a complicated world where there's the, the work of Satan and demons and our free will and other people's free will and, and God's at work, and things get complicated, and it was complicated in this situation because Herod Antipas and his new wife Herodias, Herodias has this daughter named Salome, which is not from Herod Antipas, but his, her uh, previous husband, and supposedly she was like an amazing dancer. Because she goes and dances in front of Herod Antipas. And I don't know if she was just really a great dancer or that he was really drunk. I don't know. But he, after the dance, he says, I will give you anything you ask. That was such an amazing dance. I will give you anything you ask. And you can imagine maybe, you know, Solomon is saying, like, I could have my own palace on a hilltop. And you know, I could have, like, some new horses and a chariot or a new something. But mom steps in. Herodias steps in and says, uh, Say no to that new palace. Say no to that new chariot. I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head. And remember, Herod Antipas didn't want to kill John because he knew people liked him, but, but pressure in his family, and he publicly said, I'll give you anything you want. So he, he didn't want to go back on his word. And so, like this 1843 painting shows, and Matthew 14 says, it says, so John was beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a tray 
and given to the girl who took it to her mother. It's the way the story of John the Baptist ends, at least in this world. He goes on to spend eternal joy in the presence of God, but that's how his story ends. And sometimes our stories don't always work out the way we want. I mean, the Bible says the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And Hebrews 2 talks about the devil having the power of death, that the last enemy to destroy it is death. I mean, sometimes things don't work out the way we would hope, and it didn't work out the way John would hope in, in his life. I mean, Jesus never promises a perfect world because it's not a perfect world. And he weeps just as we weep as horrible things happen like this happened to John the Baptist. So Proverbs 3 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And so back to the, the point of this message. We are to trust the Lord with all our heart and not lean on our own understanding. Again, there are times when we are wanting God to go this way. We're wanting God to bless this and we're wanting God to do this and we expect him to look like this and, and all of a sudden God goes a different way. And the Bible says we're not to lean on our own understanding because God is actually working to make our paths straight. In other words, sometimes God goes a different way than we do because, again, there might be a shortcut. There might be a better route to where we're going, uh, a smoother way. I mean, God knows what's coming down the pipe. He might know that the route we're pursuing and the, the route we're hoping that God's going to bless, that, that we're like, God, you got to bless us. This is, you're totally in this. And God's like, actually, there's something coming up. We need to go right. But we don't see it. There are times when, when God goes a different way because he's actually wanting to do something actually more impressive than, than we actually hoped. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And this is what happened to John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist had his view of the way the kingdom was going to play out in his time. And his view was Jesus comes in with swords and army and takes, kicks out the Romans and this new rule and in a kind of military political power kind of reign. That, that was John's view of the kingdom. Jesus comes in and he starts going a different way. And he starts bringing in a kingdom where he teaches that you're to love your enemies. And you're to go the extra mile. And you're to consider others better than yourselves. And, and it's a kingdom where the fruit of the Spirit reigns. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness. And that kind of kingdom is immeasurably more amazing than a kingdom of military and political power. I mean, it was far better than John could ever imagine. But John was set on this. And God's like, actually, no, I got something far better in store. And that same thing happens to you and the same thing happens to me. We're like, God, this is the deal. You need to move here. You got to do it this way. And God's like, actually, I got something far more impressive. Let's go right. Let's turn a different way. And maybe God is saying that to you in an area of your life. You've been expecting God to go this way, but he's like, hey, let's go this way. It's far better. It's far easier. It's far more amazing. It has far more fruit or whatever it might be. The story of John the Baptist in Matthew 11 if you go on, actually ends up at this verse where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That he is inviting us down his path, his way, his route. 
when we start pursuing our way and our plans and our expectations, often we'll find it hard to rest. It's when we end up striving and fighting and straining and, and we're anxious and worried because we're, we're trusting in our way. And God says, trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Come into my rest and to my ways. And so, Father, we ask that you would just continue to warm our hearts towards your direction. God, those areas of our life where we're still fighting you and, and coming up with our own expectations and our own plans, God, I, I pray that you would help us understand that you are good and that you love us more than you could ever imagine and that, God, your ways are always better than our ways. So, God, right now, we just take a step of faith and leaning not on our own understanding, but acknowledging you in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.